this is The Reprise, a Young Artists of America podcast. I'm your host, Adima Essien, and today's guest is Neil Davidson, an NYC actor, producer, and writer. Let's start our chat. Hi, Neil. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, I'm I am so unbelievably excited. Like I I cannot wait. When I got the email that was like, "Hey, would you like to maybe join for a YA podcast?" I was like, "Yes! I love I love this organization. I love I love Rolando. I love the I love Christina Friedgen. I mean, so many of my mentors head up these things and were so so impactful in those formative years of high school um and and what i mean a lot of those same lessons i think track to the artist and human being i am now so i just have so Mm -hmm. much gratitude and i just love i just love the organization so i'm so excited i'm so excited (laughs) well speaking of high school the first question that i like to ask people is how did you first get involved with the performing arts or theater Yeah, yeah 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 well i started um, I actually started in elementary school, believe it or not. I went to the Avalon School, small private all-boys Catholic school, and part of the literature education was reciting poetry in front of the class. And I quickly took to being uh, expressive and enjoying being in front of people and performing. And my fourth grade teacher uh, happened to be involved with the Rockville Musical Theater. Mm-hmm. And he was in a production of Gypsy and they needed some newsboys. And he said, well, kid, I know you can be in front of people. You want to come and sing happy birthday? And I did. And I got the part as a newsboy. I was nine years old. And that started uh, like five or six shows that I did with the Rockville Musical Theater throughout mm-hmm. elementary school and, and, and middle school. And like all the greatest hits, you know, like the Sound of Music and uh, and West Side Story and uh, just great shows, great shows. Mm-hmm. So that was my that was my beginning. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Before we started recording, we were talking about this. You were involved in the first ever, first ever inaugural concert of Young Artists of America. So I would love to hear about your experience with that. It was incredible. I mean, I saw the video this week, got posted on Instagram. I didn't even know there was a video. And it hit me like we were performing in the lobby of the Strathmore. Mm-hmm. And like my mom was dropping me off as like one of 14 students who were in a chorus singing with the band. And it just blows my mind that so quickly, so soon, YA has summer programs and full seasons of shows and you're doing them in the theater and you're in the Strathmore. Like it just oh, it's, it's so exciting. And at, at the beginning, it was it was so interesting because it just felt it felt like we students had stumbled into like a secret, like something Mm -hmm. really special. You know, it's like, whoa, we get this much one-on-one time with Rolando Sanz and, and uh, Rini Kadelka, who was at Catholic university forever was also working with it. Rini. Wow. She was my accompanist when I did young artists of America. Oh, Rini is, Oh gosh. She's, she's lovely. You know, and it's just those, those early moments. It was, I was like, this does feel like the beginning of, of something big and something exciting. And to be able to work for the first time with also the professionality of the musicians. I mean, that was the first time I'd experienced that. And that is something that would carry me on to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Well, since you mentioned Northwestern, I would love to hear about what you studied there and sort of how your experiences from high school sort of 
transferred over into you going to Northwestern. So we'll start with, okay, what did I study at Northwestern, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was a theater major. Um, at Northwestern, there's a big, just a theater major, and then you kind of pick and choose where you focus um, in in the class track that you take. So as a theater major, I took the acting track. Uh, I also took uh, an acting for film certificate, and I auditioned and was in the musical theater certificate program. My education at Good Counsel and my work with YAA prepped me for that in that I was already used to balancing a lot of different interests and skills at a mm -hmm. high level, right? Like YA, there's a level of professionality that you don't get at a lot of high school arts organizations. And Northwestern is top tier. And the moment you step in the room, you have to be at that level. And I didn't have to jump to it. I was like, no, I'm, I'm ready to do that. Rolando sent me a great article. Um, and he, he's quoted it to me a couple times about the difference between an amateur and a professional. Mm -hmm. And... And he instilled this in me early on. I started taking voice lessons with him when I was 14 or 15. That's how I found my way into YA because I was taking voice with Rolando. Mm -hmm. And um, the difference between a professional and an amateur is that professionals show up and do the thing every day, no matter how they feel, right? Mm -hmm. Like I will show up in the practice room no matter how I'm feeling. I can now in New York, living a crazy life, balancing my own business and doing everything, I will show up and put that audition on tape if it's due tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. No matter how I'm feeling, I have a skill set that I deliver. So at Northwestern, the, I, I mean, I was able to balance everything. I I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I say this as an example. I graduated summa cum laude. Congratulations. Wow. My sophomore year, I was the, the St. Dennis Scholar, which they picked one sophomore out of the class uh, in out of the school of communications class for their outstanding contributions in art scholastically and in service and i was able to do all those things i was able to spend that time in the practice room all of that effectively because i learned early that like you show up no matter how you feel and you deliver and you have to keep those skills sharp because then mm -hmm. whatever happens you're ready luck happens when opportunity meets preparation Thank you for all of that. Just talking to you very briefly now, it just seems like you've been able to take lessons that you've learned through different transitions of your life and applied it. I would love to talk about the sort of end of your college experience, transitioning, graduating into the quote unquote real world. Because yeah. what even is the real world? <laughs> I'm going to steal from a very, very wise man to give just the most important piece of advice, mm -hmm. but then I'll, th and then I'll go back and talk a little bit about like more chronologically what my journey has been. Mm -hmm. um, so my senior year at Northwestern, there was this big event called the Starry Night Gala, where they invited back all of the alumni stars to come back for this huge, beautiful fundraiser. Okay. Um, and me having the the business brain that I do from friends, I immediately went through like the, uh, <laughs> the covert Northwestern directory and emailed all of them that I could and was like, hey, want to grab coffee? I'm in the middle of showcases and I've got some agents who are interested in me and I need to figure out how to navigate these first steps. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of, I got a lot of great, a lot of great connections with alumni from that. So the yeah. first thing I'd say is reach out, reach out, reach out. The, the school, wherever, whatever school you end up at, the second only to the training that you get and the work you put in and the craft that you develop for yourself is the alumni network. 
the great piece of advice. So the Starry Night Gala was hosted by none other than the Stephen Colbert. And I've now gotten a chance to bump into him a couple of times since. But that first time, I there was like two seconds where he was alone, sitting at a table. We were waiting. We're in the middle of rehearsal. I was performing along with him. Um, and I grabbed him for one second. And I said, Stephen, if there's one piece of advice you could give to a senior about to graduate and move into the quote unquote real world right now, <laughs> right? What, what, what would it be? And he said, I would say when times are difficult, put your mind on what you are doing and how it serves others, mm. not how you are feeling and what you are worried about. Mm. Okay. Um, and that lesson was an incredible guide to me through transitioning out of college and especially in COVID and starting the shared screen, which I know we're, we're going to get to, but I just want to put a pin in that. In terms of my own trajectory, I graduated Northwestern and I had already a show that was going on that summer in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Got my first couple of EMC points, and that was through uh, David Bell, fantastic teacher and director I worked with at Northwestern. So I was there, but I'd already signed with an agent here in New York. I knew I was coming to New York, and we were like, great, do the show in Chicago and get to New York with some points. So I did that. I got to New York. Is at first a lot of a lot of auditioning for musical theater, learning the the ropes and getting up and getting to open calls and EPAs and and um, and getting my feet underneath me in the city, mm -hmm. and and it and I quickly realized that. Musical theater is something that we all get a great opportunity to perform in in high school, right? Mm -hmm. In school, it's that yes. it's one of those big things that happens. And then in college, it's really special. And I, being a tall, athletic dude, was very, very castable all the time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I'm and I acknowledge it like that privilege got me to let me perform in all these big shows. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you get into the real world, and you realize that to be a professional in musical theater. Not only do you have to really, really love musical theater, but most of the love that you have to have is for the process of keeping your skills sharp. You have to be, you have to be a technician. You need to be singing. You need to be dancing and taking classes. You need to be auditioning constantly to be able to compete at a level with people who have also been out of school for years and years and worked and done all this stuff, right? That mm -hmm. your passion to really rise to the top, your passion has to be the practice and the process, the technique. And I realized I, I, I love and enjoy singing and, and I, uh, dancing is fun for me, but I had a lot of other interests and mm -hmm. that I didn't find that much joy in the process of that. But at the same time, I realized the thing that I did love, I did love more than anything, was acting. That then came along with, and this is the other massive thing that I would I would go back and I'd shake myself if I was still at Northwestern, I'd say, Neil, Neil, you need to get into writing classes. You mm. need to take you need to take that playwriting class. You need to take that screenwriting class. Because if you want it to happen and you want to be in it, this day and age, you gotta be the one to write it. Mm -hmm. Like the the people who have careers you look at where they started, they, they all, they all start with nowadays, it's making your own work. There's so many, there's so many channels for streaming content, for creating things. They are hungry for good content. And yes, mm -hmm. it's really the, the current, the establishment, the gatekeepers of agents, managers, casting directors, studios, they do exist and they will still exist. And I, and I think that structure, that structure is necessary when you just have that much money and that little time, that mm -hmm. structure exists, but it's becoming less and less and less important and less and less vital for the people who can create their own stuff. 
And what that and that structure, what it's actually praying for is you to walk in and be like, not only am I a finished product as an actor, but here's my fully shot and produced and created pilot. There's some people who graduate and hop into a show and that's the thing. And I think that's great. For me, I realized my longevity in this industry and my way into this industry is to do that, do the auditions. I have an agent. I audition. I do all the stuff. And at the same time, I need to be making my own work. I love what you just said, because I think as an actor, you have to be more than an actor or like, at least I think view yourself more There's as an actor. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as being just an actor anymore. Yeah. There, there really isn't. There really isn't. And you know what? It's more fun. Like mm-hmm. I got to New York and like you, you, you start working on stuff and then like grab as many friends from as many walks of life as you can. Like mm-hmm. that's why I love New York City because it took like a year and then I'm sitting down at a table to like board game night with a bunch of my friends and like you take a snapshot of that and it's like it is a rainbow literally mm-hmm. but like of so many different perspectives and understandings in the world that are so much more than I bring. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I've, I value my own perspective as growing up in Laytonsville, Maryland and go, going to good council and participating in YA and being from Northwestern and all these things. But mm-hmm. like, I, I can't write everyone else's characters in the series, yeah. right? It is vital mm-hmm. to have a diverse group of collaborators. Mm-hmm. Absolutely vital. And that's not a, it's not like check the box thing. It's like, if you want your art to be as rich and colorful as it could be, you gotta have writing partners. Make the work with your friends. Make the work with your friends. It makes it fun. And that's literally, like, that's what happens at the top. Like, Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese has been making the work with his same group of friends since, since the very beginning. Yeah. It's, you know, like, <laughs> and you can do it at your own level. I sort of want to jump back um, to what you were beginning to talk about, about your business, a shared screen. Yeah, this actually picks up perfectly where we left off with my story of getting to New York City, getting to New York City, doing musical theater, straying away from musical theater, realizing TV and film was my passion. I'd started actually a small um, in-person production company out of my apartment with my roommate where we were shooting real footage and YouTube content and coaching auditions. Mm-hmm. And I had written some some pilot stuff and we were getting ready to film that. But I had just booked... Um, uh, the play Vanya and Masha and Sonia and Spike. Ah, yes. Uh-huh. So I went I went down to the Savannah Repertory Theater in Georgia for mm-hmm. a couple of months to play Spike, which was a dream. And on my way back to New York City, I stopped for a little bit of time at home. This mm-hmm. was March 14th of 2020. And my mm-hmm. twin brother... Who, uh, You're was a twin? I do have a twin, fraternal wow. twin. That's Very different. Exciting. He's he's he, my twin brother is currently doing his uh, PhD in immunology at Duke, and he called me up and he said, Neil, if you go back to New York City tomorrow, it might be the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. A day later, New York City shut down and was on lockdown, and I spent 16 months back home in Laytonsville, Maryland. My acting class that I had been in, live acting class in New York. Um, masterclass of professional actors that meets weekly went on zoom and there was a lot of people trying to produce theater on zoom really quick because they were like oh well theater shut down but we can do it on zoom mm-hmm. and a lot of the attempts were um they, they were experimenting with different forms and they weren't super effective because you had people pretending that they were in the same room or using virtual backgrounds like passing a teacup through virtual space and it's just it asked so much of the audience um, and we were spending so much time on Zoom. But in our masterclass, 
we were like, we realized, wait a second, if everyone else just shuts off their camera and we leave on screen the two people or three people who are doing a scene together, mm-hmm. and we actually just rewrite the scene so it's no longer a scene from a play, but it's actually in the context of a Zoom call. Like these characters have a reason to get on Zoom mm-hmm. and they're Zooming each other, you know, like terrible example that we didn't do but imagine like romeo and juliet can't get out of their rooms so they whip out their phones and they zoom each other and as an audience you've kind of like wiretapped into their zoom call Mm -hmm. we were doing this in class and we realized like this is actually something interesting it doesn't Mm -hmm. ask the audience to suspend extra disbelief it's something really engaging and intimate it's cool and we did a couple of small closed experimental um, readings of for friends and family of some full plays and the the reception of them was incredible people loved them they freaked out they thought it was really exciting and okay. I was sitting there having nothing to do and a business mind and thought you know what I need to get some sort of official production vehicle together to take the work from class again make the work with your friends take the work mm-hmm. we're doing in class and just be able to fully produce it to get the rights and to charge tickets and the whole nine yards. So I was working in class on a scene from the play tape, which is by Stephen Belber, the Tony Emmy nominated playwright director. Um, give him a Google. I was working on that in class on zoom. And I thought this whole play, this whole 90 minute play, it's three people could, I think I could adapt this full thing. And I got in touch. I got in touch with Stephen through some other contacts that I had made while um, at Northwestern, and I said, and I sent him like three minutes of clips from class that my friend Travis and I were, were working on the scene. And he said, "Yeah, that that works. Um, do you have a full adaptation of the script?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, de- definitely." <laughs> and spent twenty four hours frantically typing, creating, and building a full adaptation of of a play that has been produced in 24 countries for two decades and was a indie film starring Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman and Mm. Robert Sean Leonard. Um, Sundance hit in like just around 2000 or 99, something like that. Um, And he's like, he read the script and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I tweak this and tweak this and tweak this. But aside from that, yeah, you can go do it. And suddenly I was like, wait a second, I have a I have a script. I have the yes from a fantastic writer who has given me the support on this adaptation. I have Mm. um, I have a cast. I have a director and I need a company. And so I founded the Shared Screen, which is a 501c3 nonprofit production company. We are officially incorporated. We take donations. And our (laughs) our mission is to create um, accessible art via the virtual medium. And Mm. so we worked on, and so we worked and produced tape. And I wore... 70 different hats. I was the, I started in it. I adapted it. I produced it. I, um, and I ran the company. So that means all the finances. I designed the websites. I edited and created the trailers. I pitched our show to 50, to 150 different media outlets and critics three or four times, um, over and over again. And I, I designed the ticketing vehicle and figured out how zoom would work really smoothly. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything whole nine yards um, with some really great help and mentorship from my father. Mm -hmm. And then the show went up. We ended up a top streaming pick in the New York times. We had an audience of just shy of 2000 people tune in from across the globe. And we did this live. We Mm -hmm. were doing it. We did it live for nine shows. So we had people like tuning in live 
from Hong Kong and Germany and France. Like they're up in the middle of the night seeing this because they've heard about it from friends. It mm-hmm. blew my mind. And we'd have talkbacks with the audience and I just, it, it was in the, in the time of COVID, people were just hungry for connecting yeah, and, and just figuring it out. And, and so we, we, we put it up and, uh, then we went away a little while. We we did we did another round. We put it up again in February. Um, and funny enough, just this last weekend, we had our debut of like a live screening of the recording. I got a five thousand dollar grant from the city of New York to Ooh, wow. uh, yeah to 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 put it up a, a live screening, which was great. Um, mm. And and in the process of that, we learned a ton about how to use Zoom. Like how to be a really effective communicator through the screen and through the Zoom lens and and the way that we work. And I took that to the other half of the Shared Screens mission, which is to take what we learn as artists mm-hmm. and share it with the public. So I started coaching presenters, executives, educators, uh, healthcare professionals on how to use Zoom and how to connect with people through this tiny camera lens. Another thing that the shared screen is now working on, uh, which I'm, I'm really excited about, we have Tuesday night for uh, Good Counsel. We're doing the first of uh, m- hopefully many virtual education seminars. Uh, Ooh, this first okay. one is about uh, resisting alcohol and substance use in high school. And I will be one of the presenters, but I'm running all, all the, the tech for it. We've got another one that we're working on about consent. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, at the college level, we get all kinds of consent education, but it is g- grossly underfunded and underappreciated at the high school level. And these mm-hmm. will be two virtual education presentations that can be given to any school in the country, anywhere. So not only will they hopefully be able to reach tons and tons of high schoolers and give them really important information, but also it'll be another great way to fund the other projects that the shared screen is doing on the artistic side, right? So so now I have a business where I can move from corporate to art to corporate to art and marry them in this virtual mm-hmm. medium. All right. So I always throw three rapid fire questions Ooh, at, yeah, the, at the end, but I always, I always cater it towards the podcast guests. Oh. So um, just because you are a TV film actor, I'm gonna cater it towards that. Okay. So, first question: mm-hmm. What is your favorite TV show of all time? Oh, you know, if I'm really gonna commit to it, I'm gonna say The West Wing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love Euphoria, and and then on the complete opposite side of that, Succession. Like those are my oh. two <laughs> current shows right now: are okay. Succession and Euphoria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next question. What is your favorite movie of all time? You ask the good questions. Um, I would say, okay, a movie that people in our generation, if you haven't seen it, you need to just sit down, block it out, understand the history and live through like all four hours of Lawrence of Arabia. They don't make movies on that epic scale anymore. And the, and when it came out, people freaked out and saw it like 50 times. Training Day is just a movie that speaks to my soul in mm-hmm. a fascinating way. But just Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke are so, so incredible in, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to round it out. So I've given you Lawrence of Arabia and Training Day. You know, actually, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go just well, recently. I saw the movie Nine Days. It, it came out in the last couple of months. And that's a movie that'll re-inspire you to be an artist. Mm. And that's all I'll say on that. Nine days. Yeah. Cool. 
And the final rapid fire question I have for you is your favorite project that you've ever worked on. Searching, which is the pilot that I'm currently shooting. Ooh. And I, and I, and I mean that honestly. Like there's Coming to a screen near you soon. Uh, uh, we'll see. I got to finish writing it and shooting it first. Then we'll pitch it to a couple of agencies and we'll see what it develops into. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, there is there is nothing in my life I've ever done that has been so gratifying especially when it is and i go back to it when it is that project that you have been burning to do when it's the like the so you know my favorite project is always the next one i'm working on but Mm -hmm. searching is something special to me yeah awesome well neil this is your time to plug your social media and where people can follow you so i will let you do that oh that's great yeah you can find me on instagram at Neil B. Davidson. That's definitely where I'm most active. I'm I'm occasionally on Facebook. Um, definitely check www.thesharedscreen.com for all the latest stuff there. And also at the shared screen on Instagram. And you can also uh, look at my personal actor website, which is <laughs> which is neildavidson.me. That's where you'll catch the latest news on what I'm what I'm working on as an actor. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me. I loved hearing all of your experiences. Bye, everyone. See ya, folks. The Reprise is produced by Annie Fang, Jamie Joyen Waldorf, and Rachel Hahn, and hosted by myself, Adima Essien. We hope you subscribe and leave a rating on whichever platform you are listening to The Reprise on. You can follow us at YAA alum on Instagram or visit www.yaa.org slash alumni to find out more information. Thanks for listening and we hope you tune in for the next episode of The Reprise.